0: The Protect Your Neck Podcast, UFC, DC Breakdown, picks, plays, and whatever else comes our way. Let's go to work. Hot air hangs like a dead man from a white oak tree. People sitting on porches, thinking how things used to. What is up my friends? This is the Protect Your Neck Podcast, and I'm your host, Dan Tom. Andalysis' work you can find over at MMAJunkie.com. And in this year's program, the Protect Connect Podcast, we break down high-level MMA. That's what we're going to do here today, tonight, whenever you're listening to this. Hopefully, it's before the fight, as I am recording uh, early on a Thursday night, early evening here, 5 p.m. to be exact, uh, West Coast time, Las Vegas. Um, thank you guys for joining me. Uh, really appreciate you guys, uh, as per usual. But really just want to let you know I appreciate you, and also let you know that uh, this is is going to be I don't know about an expedited episode but um it's just going to be tr- we're just going to trim the fat man we really are um just uh yeah, I'm going to have to do this anyways when I eventually transfer over and start incorporating YouTube doing recap shows which will be much more better suited on YouTube uh but maybe even doing breakdown shows um as well on there uh, so they'll have to be separate anyways but really it just uh too much podcast you know one podcast a week's not good there there, there's too much to kind of cram in and um I think just with my natural habit as as you know I tend to talk too goddamn much and rant too much and it doesn't make for you know there's a lot of you savages out there that appreciate it and don't don't worry I'll still keep the quirkiness and the voices and and my old self uh, when breaking down the fight that'll be uh, unfiltered unabashed uh whatever you know uh, descriptor you want to add there and thank you guys i appreciate you hardcores that the the love and crave crave it. uh the content no matter what but to be honest i probably lose way more listeners and, and <laughs> just people in real life if we're really being honest uh, just with uh you know i got got to tone it down because not everybody gets it not everybody uh you know in in the, the offended culture where it's just much more easier to be offended um, you know, it just doesn't, it doesn't work well. And, and Hey man, I'll be the first to admit I am not for everybody. I am definitely not for everybody. That's for damn sure. So no, no shame there. Uh, but what I made my, you know, I don't make that much money, but the term, what I make my money on is, uh, is my you know ability to break down fights and stuff. So that's what kind of got me to the dance. So I'm just going to stick to that. Um, out of respect. So just going forward, Unless I can't do a recap, then I'll just keep the recap super brief. And it's just going to be straight into the card from top to bottom uh, from here on out. And um, with the schedule, I'll be going to Bellator, Hawaii. I've got a big week in Vegas next week for UFC 245. Uh, Bellator, Hawaii after that. Um, And, you know, Bellator's got some New New Year shows that week after that, I believe, or so. so. And, uh, of course,. you know, I've got family stuff on my end still dealing with still uh, in lingo, but don't worry, I don't waste your time with any of that. So and I just mentioned that to say that uh, top fives ain't going anywhere, folks. Don't worry, I'm 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 going to be doing those one one a month, like I said, um, starting in January. It's just kind of too much of a too much of a hassle to book those out right now for the for the, for the remaining weeks for kind of what I just said. Uh, but believe me, I can't give up on those. in fact, I think it's gotten around, and again, it's talking top five has been around for how long uh is it, nobody is the creator of it the where I got it from a, a podcast I always suggest, and I always give credit to the film vault they do it in a complete different genre so that's that's at least my justification and I don't make money on this podcast um but the top five things catch on well, you know, caught on with my work, and thankfully, they wanted to do the uh video segments, which again. <laughs> Kind of homage to Film Vault, uh, just just you know, called it Fight Vault, and I give my quick top fives there. But uh, now you just see like podcasts that aren't even top five, pod- just like labeling top five or doing top top whatever, and, and good on them, man. If I fucking did half the shit I said I was going to do, um, I would be probably be reaping those SEO rewards as well. But neither here nor there, folks. They will be coming back. I did not abandon them. I miss them, too. But that is that for the top fives. And let's get to the breakdowns, which, like I said, we'll be getting to here forth. All right, five minutes in. We are a UFC on ESPN7. A headline by Alistair Overeem versus Jair Rosenstrach. That's right, Rosenstrach. Michael, he's very good. Oh, Sipping some coffee. It's probably too late for that, but I need some something to wake me up. It's been a long day. Um, yeah, uh, ended up, uh, siding with Overeem and, um, it's heavyweight MMA and it's Overeem. So unless there's plus money, I'm not going to pull the trigger, but, uh, you know, I, I think he might've bounced up and down and if you caught him as a dog, good on you, but it looked like it might be trending that way. Cause right now the line is dead, even at minus minus one ten. as you see is my video breakdown, no written this week or we'll three written and three videos next week. Uh, but as you see on the video breakdown, um, I ended up siding with, uh, Alistar Overeem there and yeah, it just, it's hard to ignore the experience and the ground and clinch. And, um, I think that's where it's going to come, uh, you know, come to, uh, J- Rosenstruck, man, he's, um, a really good striker. He's not just, you know, some come forward brawler. In fact, he actually particularly likes to counter. He keeps his calm when exchanging in the pocket, really works well off lead side, uh, you know, um, I know he has connections to Dutch-style kickboxing, but really it almost reminds me of more like Eastern European, more toward like the Russia side of kickboxing, where they're really lead, uh, you know, lead foot heavy. And then, you know, uh, then they also have, you know, really good lead hands as well from the boxing side. And Rosenstruck has that. You know, he's got that check hook that he keeps on the ready, plays well off of his jab, uh, a pretty decent jab as well for heavyweight especially. Um the problem is a smart guy like Overeem has probably already spotted out um, his favorite side there and his tendencies because, you know, it's 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 fairly straightforward. It's really good. It's deceptively good. And his, his speed and, and awareness will be enough to catch Overeem if Overeem puts himself out of position for a moment, uh, which is the ultimate, you know, um, kind of crux of a lot of his fights, but especially this one. Um, you know, it could very well go like I lobbied the prediction, the, you know, Sonny List and uh, Floyd Patterson prediction uh, or prediction yeah yeah then you were alive predicting fights back then uh reference as far as you know patterson who actually looks like him more athletic more more talented more well-rounded more experienced he had the check marks but bad things happen when you just when you just touched his chin the chin of a poet and um rosenstruck can touch that chin so you know if you took a shot at him as an underdog to touch that chin i guess i don't blame you but uh it, you know these cats have nine lives at heavyweight, and Overeem, he may be on his last one, but he is on somewhat of a resurgence. Now, he usually hits, he usually kind of starts bottoming out when he, once he gets at to the top in the higher-end competition. So even though I pick, I'm picking him to win here, and he may very well win here, you know, that doesn't mean uh, I'm picking him to win, go on and win the title, although I, I did pick him against uh, Stipe uh, back at UFC 203. Uh, but no, I do think he he just has too many tools to not uh, beat him within two rounds, kind of like he said so himself um, via ground and pound, uh, possibly a submission. But I just I just see him pounding him out with ground and pound, and then he knocks him out or just forces the referee to stop it. But we'll see. Maybe Rosenstruck uh, Rosenstrach, uh, maybe he comes out uh, greased like he did for Rizin, the only three fight he had. Which there's another thing I wanted to mention about that too. By the way, it was like. Um, the guy he fought was like... And it's funny. Again, you can't just stereotype, like, Russian or Russian-sounding names. You know, like, I, like, w- w- what's the example that kind of uh, paid off almost exactly twice now? That guy from Macedonia uh, or whatever. And, and But he said he had, had a really padded record. And um, he actually got decent respect from the odds makers, both as a favorite and then as a dog. And I'm like, I, I just played opposite both both sides of the coin there. Um And that's not just, you know, stereotyping down a region. I'm just saying for those who stereotype, it can bite you in the butt. And, like, for example, the one time Jarzinho made it out of the... He's only been out of the first round twice. Second round, Albini, where he won after losing the first round. And he got taken down by Albini, another reason. Um, And uh, secondly, um, you know, when he went to the uh, split decision against... uh, And I don't disagree with the decision... Uh, although it was a competitive fight um, against Andrei Kovalev. And if you look, Kovalev is actually from Ukraine. And Ukraine's produced good fighters. Again, not jumping on that. But again, you got to be careful. You're like, ooh, Kovalev. Oh, and you go to Tapology, he was 8 no when he fought him. And like, dude, he didn't fight anybody. Um, if you look at those records and whatnot. Um, and then you go look at, watch the fight itself. The guy was just out of his depth. Da- yeah, he was not wasn't I don't even know if you would get a call to the contender series with that 8-0 no, with that 8 no record and how he looked. So, you got to be careful about that level of competition there. Um this is just such a huge jump. Got to pick over Reem here. I don't even blame anybody that wants to take a degenerate shot like if your nights going well by then. But um but yeah, I'm picking uh, Reem. Two last things on here I have noted, uh Reem Bolo tribute. I don't know if you guys noticed. I I didn't notice this after his uh What's that? Fight? That guy. I cashed him on dog money on that one. Kind of back to the point I said earlier against. Um, and he's looked good since then. Uh, fuck. Sergey Pavlovich. And uh, after he did it, he did um, Bolo. After like he injures, I think it's, he injures Jackson, uh, Van Dam's friend in um, Bloodsport. Uh, either that, or it's the fight before that. He kind of makes that statement, like you know, as he's he's the bad guy and he hurts somebody and everybody's just quiet in and shock. And Bolo's doing his. It's kind of like uh, it's hard. This is audio only, but he's just doing his like smile and head nod, like over animating himself on purpose, like taunting the crowd. Like I don't hear you cheering now, but like kind of saying, "Cheer, huh? Cheer for that," you know. And, and he's doing his weird like bolo, freakish, wide-eyed, psychotic grin, jazz finger shake, where his pecs are just bouncing up and down. And, and Overeem's doing that. It was great. And uh, I put straight kickboxing because it's something that I notice um especially like guys who have been doing it for a while like the Rogans and Goldbergs of the world and not coming at him or anything it just I just always think it's funny and to god forbid step into my head any further than uh, you poor people already have to by listening to this podcast uh something that always gets me to giggle is that he goes oh he's now and this guy's really good at straight kickboxing and I'm always like what, what as opposed to what gay kickboxing obviously that's not how they mean it obviously I'm not making a joke toward gay but I'm 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 joking at the at the words, not 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 I'm not even punching it aside much. I was punching up or down there, uh, but it's just one of those things that you, that it gets overused, and it's just one of those words when you kind of break it down. Obviously, it's not meant, and usually they kind of have an implied cadence to you know persuade the perverted mind, such as myself to go down that road. <laughs> you hear it so much, like, oh, this guy's uh, this guy's nine and zero in straight kickboxing. I'm like, well, what's his record in gay kick? You know, or like this guy's this guy's. Uh, this guy's undefeated in straight grappling. I'm like, well, I want to know how he's doing in gay grappling. You know what I'm saying? You, you <laughs> less mistakes. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right, now that that one steps a little more dangerous lines. Um, obviously, I love my gay brothers and sisters. Don't take it the wrong way, but I'm just pointing out the the the, the kind of funniness of that statement. Like, oh yeah, this guy's good in straight. Like, why does it gotta be straight? <laughs> All right, next fight, man. This one was kind of a harder one to pick, but um i ended up taking a side uh in more than one ways i guess but i guess we'll we'll, we'll explain why but at the same time this isn't one that i'm super confident so i want to put that disclaimer out um and this is one of those cards too kind of depends on the line movement good on you guys for grabbing early i think there was a lot of that which makes sense because there was time off and um all y'all got in early? And I should have. I did, too. Actually, I started, like, last week, Tuesday. But then I'm like, there's no way I'm going to remember this fucking shit by the time I record. Even if I wanted to record early, like on a Tuesday or, or Wednesday. Um, so I, I kind of uh, tended to my biz and just got a slight head start. Although you wouldn't know by my start time. Sorry, folks. I, I really dove deep into this one, despite my lack of place. But we have Marina Rodriguez at minus 125. Cynthia Calvillo come back. Plus 105. Money's starting to come in on Calvillo. Um, She was kind of hanging out plus one ten, plus one fifteen. Um, I picked her, and then I was—I just, I always save my place for the end for whatever reason sometimes, and I shouldn't do that because uh, then I saw the line going down, and I actually put a half unit on Calvia as a straight play. This is my only straight play at the moment, and I'll get to the other ones as we get there. Actually, one of them we just covered. I will be playing Reem if he goes to dog money, Um, but Calvio is one of the more dogs on here, and it, it's it. It's tough because Marina Rodriguez. Um, I like what I've seen. I, I don't want to say that like I underestimate her in the sense that like I wrote her off or anything or don't believe in her or, or anything like that. But I picked against her in certain spots, or even when I didn't pick against her, I was just, like against the Je- Jessica Aguilar. Obviously, I, I, I picked Marina Rodriguez there. But like I just and you know it was. I'm surprised Aguilar. I don't know how she made it um, out of that first round into the end of the fight. Um, but yeah, I'm just I'm, I, I I don't know. Again, same thing with Random Marcos. Like it was just the level of competition she she didn't face. This is why I took Random Marcos against her. And even though I thought that was going to go Marina Rodriguez's way um, on the scorecards, it ended up being a draw, which I don't have that big of a problem with, I guess, either. Especially if I was playing it that night. I don't remember if I was. It was probably a stay away. But I did pick Marcos. That's for sure. Um, and it's because not just experience, but again, grappling, a very common sense answer there, right? She's a Muay Thai kickboxer. Uh, uh, kick she loves the Thai plum. Um, and she actually has a real decent whip on her punches, you know? She has that, like, you, you know, uh, in and check where they're skinny and they still whip. And Izzy's doing that, too. You know, he was talking about that, you know, bringing back his hooks. Everyone was kind of... Seeing his straight attacks, his straight line attacks, and he's kind of bringing back his hooks. And you saw that more in kickboxing, especially when he went, Izzy went orthodox and would set up his right hand, rear hand. He would actually feels like he threw more rear hooks um, than he did um, crosses, which is strange. Uh, maybe not as strange in kickboxing, I guess, with the bat, with the bigger gloves, you want to get around the guard. Um, and you have more setups and you're more operating within that realm. But it, it, the way he did it was just really wicked powerful. And uh, he did it with the left, obviously, to Whitaker. Um, and back to female relevance, yes, we have seen other skinnier frames able to generate power like Young Check, And this girl's kind of like a uh, stretched out, uh, bizarro Young Check, You know, um, different style, but... Still Muay Thai, still long and lanky, still more powerful than her frame leads on. And if you get in the clinch, you don't know what you're doing, you're probably gonna get pieced up. So that's I guess the in, as far as my check comparison goes there. Um and she could have a really good ceiling. She uh she looks really well trained, even though it's traditional jujitsu, jitsu uh, which is weird. I'm like, does that mean it's Japanese jujitsu? Like the 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 school she actually trains with her brands himself. They don't brand themselves Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. They actually brand themselves traditional Jiu-Jitsu. They wear the gi, and you look at her operate, and she works really well. Like, uh, I don't know if it was Paul Felder or somebody in, in one of the commentaries might have been in that um, Marcos fight, uh, where it's true. Like, little subtleties, like how she has the under, you know, Marcos or the fighter is is on one hip on the bottom in, like, kind of a half-guard variation uh, on their hip facing Yeah, Rodriguez and Rodriguez with the near side arm, um, which is would be the side furthest from the fight around bottom's head is underhooking the closest underhook spot, the armpit. But it's not just an underhook. She's keeping a clasp and reaching almost behind up on the shoulder blade where the fingertips are almost coming around. Uh, Like if you were reaching for the collarbones from from the back, while her forearm is weighing down on the ribs, which is uncomfortable and serves as a pinning mechanism and just allows you to unleash elbows and strikes, which is right up her alley. So she's much more well-trained than perhaps her blue or purple belt meets the eye. I can't remember or really tell Uh, Those are the two belts I always got confused on. Remember, folks, especially when I was handing out belts back in the day, I would always fuck that up um, back in the uh, (laughs) karate days. Um, But, yeah, uh, But that being said, the wrestling, I don't see there, and she's definitely not going to win a submission or scrambling battle. I mean, she could, and it's going to really blow me away, but from what I've seen how I've seen her move, um, I don't like it. In fact, even though she has some nice things from top position, Her scrambling in particular, I don't really like. Now you can't judge anything from an open workout. In fact, most fighters don't want to judge or be seen, or you know, have their stuff seen. And there's also like a performance anxiety. There definitely is. Like you really fuck up easy stuff. Even if you're a fighter who doesn't have the performance anxiety in a fight, there's something different, especially with the UFC production and the level they put it on. And you're not used to that. Yeah, she's fought in the UFC before, but this is her first like main card, I believe, much less. Co main and I know the co main is pretty much non-existent these days outside of pay per views with the 2019 model going into 2020, but you know she's still in a much more visible spot. It's a U.S. card, I believe her first time over in the U.S., which is another thing. Um, and uh, and but you know, so you 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 want to ease off. I've rarely put anything in the open workout. I barely watch him, but I just kind of auto played when I was going over to some interviews, which again you can't put too much into either, but. Uh, she was doing, you know, um, stuff with her corner, and she just looked really unsure. There wasn't just there was a good flow of communication for the pads, so then they kind of go over to grappling, which should be much more kind of easier and impromptu to, uh, uh, you know, to improv. But, she, you know, the, the, the training partner was doing just really basic things like rolling over to guard and throwing a bad submission and kind of going to turtle to allow the back take, and she just didn't, like, even going slow... She was making poor choices, looking kind of confused on what she wanted to do, which was fine. But then when she would do something like the kind of version of the back take she chose, it was like super low percentage where you're pulling them into you when you didn't, you don't need to, and just I just, just little things that just immediately jumped out. And I wasn't even trying to fucking break down the open workout, folks. Like I just kind of noticed that, and I'm like, oh man, like I hope your real time reactions are much faster than that against a fighter who. Um, arguably one of the best scramblers in the division. Um, Calvillo, who is one of the few fighters who like calls out the Andrages and the Tatiana Suarez of the world and stylistically poses an interesting threat because she could make them pay, at very least, keep them honest in scrambles and in most wrestling tie ups. Although, you know, Suarez is a beast and, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of her. I'm not saying I would pick. Pick her over Suarez. I'm just saying, she, she 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 is is one of those really interesting matchups at straw weight for however long she's gonna stay here. Now, she cuts a bit of weight to get down, but it's tough. You know, the one time she missed weight, she actually came in on her lightest. Whereas the Joanne Calderwood fight, where she had energy to dog it out and get takedowns at the end of pretty much almost every round, she cut like 17 pounds that fight week. Like, uh, that was. Unplanned, it was just bloating from the trip over to Scotland and whatnot, enemy territory. But you know, it just doesn't really make sense. And so, but at the end of the day, you just gotta judge them as a fighter. And when I do that with Calvio, she is a huge gamer, man. She games things out. She really just has, you know, the BMF talk or whatever, being the females BMF, which which. Hey, good for her, but uh, honestly, uh, you know, as cliches as it might be to bring up BMF or as cliches it will be like Connor because we just get it thrown in our face that we get sick of it. Uh, I believe her attitude. She's one of the few where I believe that, you know, in, the, in her division. Um, she, she has that mentality, man. You see her get after things. And that mentality, and if you have durability, which she appears to have that Mexican durability, although I, I do not think she wants to test it in this fight. Uh, it, it is a good thing that I th- think she has it. She has the mentality, that's for sure. And win or lose, she seems to have the gas tank, you know? Um, it was more just adjustments. She kind of fell in love with being a striker too much. She kind of saw that, and although it looked like she kind of started doing that again against Pontianna, uh, Botelho didn't take long for her to make that adjustment get the fight to where she needed it to be and uh, strangle her. And let we not forget, that was another girl that was getting a lot of attention, and she... You want to talk about athletic just on the juice. Um, you know, as my man Wes Colvin would say, she- pissing through steel bars of titanium with the smoke re- and making the steam rise. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, and and Calvillo is strong, and that's one of the things most fighters kind of come away. You know, she is strong. She doesn't have the height at 5'4", but she's not short for the division at 5'4", and even though she will still be at, I believe, a 2 to 3-inch Height and reach at disadvantage. I think actually the reach is the same, but the height probably is. I'll I'll pull it up now as I talk. Um, It'll be one of uh, Rodriguez's taller opponents as well, much less obviously hands down better opponents. Now, the main thing that stood out to me, again, a lot of, I don't like giving early leans, but I'm kind of glad I did. And in fact, if you listen to some of those early leans, a lot of my early leans from that that previous podcast folks that I did two podcasts ago, A lot of my picks aren't too far off, and even the ones where I ended up going the other way, the fact that I told you that that's a dog worth looking for um, is probably worthwhile. In some fights that were, even though I'm not picking them, it's still a good dog, and I'll get to those fights where the value are or fights where the line swayed now since I've had that podcast. not saying I did it. I'm just saying hopefully my podcast helped you fall in line accordingly with those trends. All right, I was just buying my time there. As I pull up, and now it's not pulling up. Why? There. Okay. Here, refresh. Um, yep, no, it's three inches across the board. Yep, three inches height, three inches reach. But it's nothing that Calvillo hasn't dealt with before. Now, if you go back to her amateurs, she actually has a loss to a similar type of gal. Not a Muay Thai girl, but a girl who's really strong. She actually beat, I forget, she beat... Um. One of the less notable names, but a girl I used to train with, known from the Extreme Couture team. Her last fight was Carrie Lichtenwalner. Uh, she went three and zero. Before that, she beat Cynthia Calvillo in a competitive decision. But again, it was only three minute rounds, and Calvillo takes her down. And f- uh, f- this is like really early Calvillo, back and tough enough. Actually, Gorgeous George. Shout out to Gigi, uh, Junkie Radio, uh, Gorgeous George, and goes and King Mo actually um, called that fight. And, uh, but yeah, Calvillo got stuck in a triangle catch, even though it wasn't close. The girl was super long legs, kind of like Rodriguez and was able just to lock it up and kind of, you know, stall, stall round from that position. That's going to win you the round for sure. And then it was two kind of competitive rounds and Calvillo was just, you know, obviously not the fighter she is now. Um, but if you want to get technical, that's the only amateur fight she lost, but I think she won like nine or reeled off like at least nine wins uh and just really and, and and some decent names too like uh Aspen Lad uh at 125 and she was fighting at flyweight as well um and you know she was taking down Lad um and, and grappling out grappling her for, for for a fairly clear decision um but but what i also notice is that from the early fights to the middle fights to her most recent fights is that Calvio is ingrained to catch kick uh counters She's ingrained to catch a kick and do takedowns. Now, it was really—you know—she got away with it, and she still got the win. I believe it was her last fight. Um, pull it up here uh, against Courtney Casey. But like, there was just this moment where she t- just takes her down and then lets her back up. It was like the most. Ur! But y- you know, you can never take fighters too seriously in interviews. Something I've said before. But in- interviews—you know—she's she's talking about recognizing these things and whatnot. And even though she was initially supposed to face Gedalia, so she could be in a letdown spot like another fighter we'll get to here. Um, in her defense, she was training, you know, at uh, at Tiger Muay Thai and not just training there for like a week or two. Like she was there for a good couple of months and really, uh, you know, uh, doused herself in. Um, and uh, in fact, she's gonna have, she wasn't able to get Master Tong, who she also was able to train out there with and reestablish a familiar face, which is probably a good thing but George Hick- Hickman, which is good because um, he also runs the wrestling and keeps him wrestling. The Hickman brothers there, former fighters, wrestlers, um, and he, he actually made it out and will be in her corner. So that's really good news. Um, you, you want a guy that is wrestling in Muay Thai. The, that's, that's the combination you need here. Enough Muay Thai to get around it and get to your fucking wrestling. And the kick counters are going to come in handy because Rodriguez is great in the clench, and yeah, Muay Thai clench, and like... Flashy strikers and flashy strikers, not, not even too flashy, but just effective strikers or flashy for the division or even effective for the division, especially uh, again. Strawway is my favorite female division, so no way am I picking on that at all. But especially in a division where if you can hurt some people, you can stand out. I'll just kind of leave it at that, dude. I get it. We all tend to—you know—you look at the the odds makers in public, uh, even though the odds makers are 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 wise to, more wise to wrestlers than the public. I'd say more sort of the public, I guess, are really easily or. Easily won over by strikers, so I get it. Um, I get why Rodriguez is favored. She's undefeated with the one draw. Uh, that's attractive. Calvillo, you know, there's been there's been breaks whether it's uh, injuries or USADA BS or whatever. But she's shown she's come back from that. She has that hunger. She has real goals to be the champ. I don't know if she, I don't know if she will or what division she'll have the best chance at it at, um, but probably this division, but man, you know, it, it, it's hard, it's hard to gauge the weight cut thing, how her weight cut's going to be, and even when she has bad weight cuts, she still performs well, so uh, if she shows up I, I and, and, you know, it has that game plan in mind, and she's kind of hinted at it, again, you can never tell, but I think that, you know, she makes Rodriguez pay for her naked kick, because Rodriguez paid, like a... Sorry, folks, I'm talking. All, I've had way too much coffee today. Um, Rodriguez, again, has a nice clinch. She can put punches together and can hurt, but she throws kicks nakedly all the time. All the fucking time. And um, I think her teeth kick will serve her well for distance, but and they're harder to counter generally for, you know, I'm sure Calvillo can, but her ingrained counters are late kick count, so uh, leg kick counters. So I'm curious if Rodriguez is going to be smart and kind of shelf her leg kicks at least you know or at least finally work on setting them up instead of just throwing naked kick over naked kick um if calvillo decides to strike with her she's going to be in trouble but if she grapples with her i I don't i have a hard time seeing her not submit rodriguez or at least you know uh win enough rounds you know grapple early early, early, early. early. even if you're not if she's not able to defend uh or able to get her down making her defend it's gonna get her more tired. It's gonna get. It's gonna make the uh, striking less effective, even if she just shoots a couple times, um, successful or not. It, it, it'll limit things. It'll make her work harder. And in a fight where you know, Jessica Aguilar, like, oh, she's a veteran. Oh, she can wrestle. Oh, she works in the American Top Team. Oh, she's good on the ground. Jiu Jitsu black belt. She shot once in that fight, and I don't even think it really mattered. Um, with what she's working, with, but like we only got to see her shoot once in the fight, and she still ended up getting Rodriguez down just by walking her down with pressure. Like Rodriguez tripped over her own footwork. Like she has, she doesn't have the um, the, uh, the the Edson Barbosa shuffle out, you know, uh, uh, shuffle out to space and get back. Shuffle out. She kind of will backpedal. She, you know, she hops forward. She comes forward. She even will do a fancy time march when she's feeling in stride. She goes forward really fucking well. She goes backwards. She trips over her own feet. Um and if Calvillo fights how she normally fights outside of arguably two fights, if she fights out you know outside of the Carlos Barza and maybe parts of that Courtney Casey fight, um she she she, she wins this. Uh, you know, she should win this. So you going to put plus money on that. I can't help but take a shot. That being said, I do respect Rodriguez, and I also have a little bit of that old Dan Tom over-correcting-the-steering-wheel fear because Marina's the hot girl in town, and, you know, I hate uh, old Contrarian Dan. You think I like being Contrarian Dan? No, no, no. As a matter of fact, I don't. I I, I don't feel good about it um, oftentimes, and this is one of those times, even though I'm picking and playing the other way, Calvillo plus 110. Sorry, a little bit long-winded on those. Again, did a lot of study for a lot of these. Not so much on this one, though, but we know these guys very well. That is Stefan Struve and Ben Rothwell. Ben Rothwell is installed as the favorite, minus 140. Not too much movement from what memory serves as far as my checking in throughout the last couple weeks with the comeback on the underdog, Stefan Struve at plus 120. I love both guys. I really do. Um, Both guys have had to overcome a lot of things. uh, uh, Whether just, you know, and I just watched that Ben Rothell interview, and he's talked about it before. He's went to that dark place before, but man, just the growing up with just, you know, abuse, bullying, and just being that part of your life. I can always relate and appreciate to someone like that, so it definitely came off disturbing. <laughs> I actually wasn't going to check it out, but uh, I was cruising through the timeline earlier. I think I saw Luke Thomas tweet, like, check that out, and I'm like... Mm-hmm. It's haunting. That's a strong word, and I definitely see where he's coming from, uh, and obviously respect what Luke says, which is why I'm like, you know, let me go check this out. And yeah, it was uh, it was pretty dark, but in someone like myself, uh, I I definitely can 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 appreciate that and and where that guy's coming from. Um, And it's good to to hear that he has parlayed positives. It wasn't all dark, you know he. He has reunited with Duke Rufus, which was another good news to hear. I always wondered what happened with that. Um, I always figured something happened, never thought anything of it. And I actually thought of it again when Ben Askren talked about rekindling the fences because I didn't even realize. I'm like, yeah, that's right. They haven't. I haven't seen the Rufus Sport blasted. I haven't seen him on the Instagram, although I would see guys like Mearshark go up to Ben. But, yeah, um, it, it's good to see people uh, rekindle because – I never got the privilege to train under Duke, but he, the times I've interviewed him in person and over the phone, I I love Duke. He just seems like such a good guy. Struve, on the other hand, you know, he got a lot of crap for his, you know, anxiety and having that at Perfector's Informants. And not going to lie, you can't, it's hard to tell what you're going to get. I mean, this makes you anxious, makes you do crazy things. You don't even remember half the fight if you're a quote unquote sane person. You know why? Because it's a cage fight and it's an insane fucking thing. So. <clears throat> No shame. uh, All power to Struve for you know overcoming his weaknesses. You know weaknesses, but you know he's he's verbalizing them, not afraid to admit them, and will not just over attempt to overcome anxiety, which is hard for your everyday person, especially in the year 2019, right? He's trying to do it in a cage fight, folks. So give the man some respect. Um, At his best, he's really well, but at the same time, you know. Anxiety or no anxiety, we've seen fighters do it that don't quote-unquote have anxiety. It's perform- it, a lot of people have performance anxiety whether they realize they have anxiety or not, hence inconsistent fighters, right? Um, that being said, Struve is an inconsistent fighter, and you can't defend that. And even though props to Struve, and when I mean that, what I just said, to you know come back and he wants to overcome his perceived weaknesses in a cage, props to him, and I do mean that. At the same time, hashtag MMA retirements, folks. I mean, that's never a good sign. That's a flag, and we can't deny that either. So, again, I'm pointing out both sides here. You can't just be like, hey, that's a flag. Fuck people with anxiety or whatever, you know, making fun or taking shots. Um, Again, folks, surprise, surprise, Dan Tom preaching and actually showing factual examples that you can actually have educated opinions that highlight both sides without having to smash the other, God forbid. But the key word here is even though I'm coming up with defenses for both guys and sympathies for both guys, this is a red flag fight. I'm picking Rothwell here, and I was pretty darn confident in, in this pick. But I've, you know, not just the even off one. I get the even off one. Even off is a guy that's very underrated. Rothwell is coming off of a huge layoff, but. He just seemed like he was swimming in slower water against Orlovsky. Now, granted, Orlovsky put on the performance of a fucking lifetime. I mean, that might be Orlovsky's last, last dance. You know, we're going to see how the rest of his, his future goes. So keep that caveat in mind, if you will. But I'm still going to go with the guy who, even in his bad performances, he throws punches and he moves forward. And you can't say that about Stefan Struve. And Stefan Struve, even though he is dangerous from the bottom as well, we've seen less of that. I expect less of that with legs, hips, and knees. I don't know if he's had any of that, but that's tend to be what happens. And Rothwell's pretty submission savvy himself, the guy that submitted Barton at all. So I'll take Rothwell. I, I don't think I could play this fight, though. Uh, all right, next fight, Aspen Ladd, minus 150. Yana Kunitskaya, plus 130 on the comeback. Um, I'm taking Lad here, and I agree with her being the favorite and 150 is a playable line, but I will not be playing this fight. Yana um, Mamakunitskaya um, is really underrated, uh, or at least for, for, for me, because I, I, I would kind of correct it and overcorrected it on her. Um, but she's really, you know, since moving stateside and, and training in my backyard, uh, Extreme Couture as well, um, she's really, which makes sense, you know. Again, we kind of talked about bigger gyms, more westernized, um, modernized gyms and modernized knowledge, I should say, more modernized equipment such as cage and walls to work, your wall work is going to improve. I think that is the one safe generalization. We've seen smaller camps arise like a city kickboxing or a Fortis MMA, and I love that they're showing that, you know, you don't need the big camp. Uh, We also see those very boxing camps. Those are also just as fine if you can afford them and make means that way. But uh, one of the safer stereotypes, as well, kind of going back the other way in big, bigger camps' favor, is wall work and clinch work. And I would argue that Kunitskaya did that. That's going to be important, considering that's where Lad makes her money. The problem is, I still don't think it's going to be good enough to get Lad uh, to, to to fend off Lad, who looks like her weight is much slimmer coming down, by all accounts, and she's having this extra protocol to ensure it. Looks that way through her social media, and she looks just as strong, yoked. Um, She's a strong tick girl. Those tick toys. Tickness. All right, easy, Connor. Tickness. Uh. (laughs) But, uh, Aspen Lad. Irish Spring. I don't know why. Uh, That's what my association is with that name. Um, And that ends up being here, and I don't think she's got the power. Uh, uh, Kuninskaya has the stopping power. Like a Jermaine Durant and me, much less the boxing. Um, like her, uh, she has kicks and she really relies on spams on those front teak kicks because you see why. As soon as uh, Marion Renault, who trains with Aspen Lad, um, mind you, which has been very, I'm sure will be very useful, um, was able to pretty much hit Yana with rights and lefts. And even though Aspen can head hut a bit too much, Her main punches are that right cross and left hook that was smashing up Yana Kunitskaya's nose. And it's going to be her fight after that nose issue. So again, kind of like with uh, Jessica Penne, I believe kind of had a negative reaction after she came back and got cracked in the nose. And then it was kind of just downhill. And granted, she was going against the Beast in Andrade. Or even, you know, it was something to look out for with, um, with Poirier. You know, he got his nose busted up and then, you know, kind of messed him up for a second. But then he uh, was able to rally back and just find his way uh, against Joe Duffy by pinning him against the fence uh, and found his path to victory there and uh, used the blood to, to, to in fact, psych himself out. Um, how will that be if, you know, lad cracks her on the nose, whether it be standing or via ground and pound, you know? Um, so to me, and even back, you know, early, you know, early on, it just seems like that was, you know... The, you know and you don't want to do mma math with lena landsberg and um what's her name tanya avenger but then you look at you know yeah you look at you know uh, the dynamics of those matchup where yana ended up uh or you know, how she beat the other one compared to how um aspen beat her and you never want to compare those things because that's mma math territory but yeah i mean uh Want to root for the girl in my backyard, just like uh, the next matchup here, but I'm actually going the other way here. Going to gonna stick with the favorite, uh, Aspen lad. No plays, which kind of portends. The next fight, Song Yadong, minus 200. First, Cody Staben, the comeback on him is plus 170. Um, Yadong. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I actually wanted to pick Staben here, too, just because I, I, I don't like the line, which is why, by the way, this fight is on my avoid list. Um, unless you're gonna play stamina here, then fire away. Uh, the thing is, I think if you're gonna pick stamina, is you're gonna have to rely on him wrestling as well as you do gassing out because stamina has got some good power. He's a he's a bricked up uh, bricked up dude for a, a short you know one thirty fiver. But he's not like a, a one punch knockout artist. He's not like a ground and pound phenom, and he's not a huge submission threat, so to speak. Because the reason why the ground and pound and submissions don't formulate, and I wrote this because it's going to come down to another fighter too, uh, who we're going to talk about here in the main card. But but Stammen is written next to his name, and it's and I wrote next to that takedown control question mark, because he doesn't get control of his takedowns. Um, he'll hit him to dissuade pressure. Uh, and I think those are going to be his best best chances here, is trying to hit level changing takedowns and catching dong out of position. But um, aside from like going back to see when dong fought, it's really hard by the way because you were like, you know, he had to, he said he lied about his age, so it makes sense. But you look at like certain things in rough, and they're saying that he was 19 in 2014, uh, which would make more sense. But if he really is the age he's at now, it means he was professionally fighting since like he was 16 years old, which is. Which is pretty uh, which is pretty crazy, but yeah, I wrote Stam and takedown control because he doesn't he doesn't control guys. Um, he either just lets him up blatantly and doesn't follow up the takedown or when he does look to get his breath and have control, it doesn't take much from a guy putting his foot on the hips. he doesn't really collapse or pop his hips uh, or uh, frogger his hips. Uh, I believe is how Drysdale used to refer to it, like you know, beating butterflies beating foot on the hip position. Um, he doesn't really do that, and so guys will push off or create space for a scramble, and he doesn't even really ensue a scramble with them. He kind of just lets them up. Um, and it's hard. Yadong is really good wrestling, but I, I don't know if he has better wrestling than Stammon, but if Stammon doesn't use his wrestling to do damage or get meaningful control time to just try to, dissu- try to dissuade the judges, then I'm not sure... You know, I'm not sure even if he wanted to scramble, he's gonna win the scrambles with Yadong. Um, I give him a slight edge, but like a slight is in like fifty-two percent to forty-eight percent. You know what I'm saying? Like, not much. I only give him a slight edge because of his wrestling background, um, and especially with who he's been getting reps with now. But he is coming off an injury. He is going through a camp change. Now he is under the care of guys like uh Eric Nicksick, I believe, uh who of course, you know, I'm biased toward and love and I'm biased toward extreme couture. Uh, But he's training other places as well, I believe, and mainly just spending a lot of time with the PI for his recovery. Now, the plus side to that is he looks really slim, and he's come in light as possible, which could be good. Um, Could be good for his conditioning. Because another thing was, I didn't like, again, back to if you're picking stamina here, which I don't blame you. I think it's dog or pass for plays. But you're going to also have to count on your dog to gas, because that was a really bad look where he was getting hit with pieces at the end of that. Um, What do you Was Is his name Vince Morales? Is his name? uh let me go and credit to that guy you know he might not have the highest ceiling and it might look like a bad loss now and maybe in the future but vince morales yeah when you watch a fight that guy's a dog man even when he lost to um domingo Pilarte in contender series in 2018 i remember writing him up like i still remember saying like i hope we see this guy um in the ufc because he's a dog he'll fight to the fucking bitter end and uh he showed that and uh Yudon kind of ran out of gas, whereas Stamen, Stamen, you know, he 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 took a fight off the couch. Granted, he didn't have the weight cut against um, Terry on Ware. I miss that guy, man. Terry on Ware, um, awesome fighter. But like, he came off the couch, and granted, he was doing much smarter pace management and wrestling defense, which has always been the Achilles' heel of Ware. He immediately exploited that and continued to exploit it to get his breaks and rest. Sure. But Stammen, you know, is a good athlete, you know, so, like, you're like, oh, he can really, like, turn it up, or, you know, he's a real game day performer. But then on a full camp, you know, he's also tired, too, and been really inconsistent. And it's not me just speculating. He actually said so himself to his own admission. You know, he's like, that's a a gas tank issue and whatnot. Um, You know, and and I I know I'm biased toward Brian Caraway, but every time I watch that fight, I don't know how you don't give him that – that round, and granted, the hinging cor- scorecard was Adelaide Bird, which of course the commentators were making fun of, and sure enough, she's the hinging fucking scorecard, and these f- fucking judges are so inconsistent for what w- w- they reward grappling with, which we'll get to with another matchup, but yeah, um, that was my problem, now on the feet, here's what it's going to come down to, you- you dong um he's shown fights where he's not as gas, but I just think he's just the more explosive fighter. Now it's gonna be good. He's gonna have more power than Stamen. Even though Stamen's never been finished, I wouldn't be surprised if he um if he gets finished here. Or if he if he can get the finish because he's just so powerful uh and he has so much speed. But yes, the longer it goes, it's gonna favor Stamen. But the two techniques it goes two for two here, at least according to me. Here's what to look out for. Uh part of the reason why I could see it is because Stamen plays more of a shell. And he's really good with it. Um, It really helps accentuate his check left hook counter, which will be in play for him uh, because Yadong tends to kind of extend his rear hand outward to preemptively parry. He overextends and tends to preemptively parry. If he hasn't fixed that, a guy with a good check hook like Stamen's going to see that, eat it up, eat him up all day. And even though Yadong was eating some right hands toward the end of his fight with uh, Morales and got some swelling on that side... If you look, he tends to take most damage and he used to tend to take most shots actually from left hooks. So that's actually the shot he gets hit with the most. So I know I'm kind of jumping around. I was initially outlining your dongs, but the left hook is going to be the shot to look for from stamina on your dong. And also the uppercut. A, because the uppercut, especially if we're talking about a counter hook, an uppercut feeds right into a hook for counters. It also feeds into a hook for countering uppercuts when you want to attach the hook at the end, you know? Uh, especially if you're slipping or you're slipping a guy on from an outside stance throwing across that uh, uppercut hook counter, right? So those are going to play very well, and Stammon doesn't throw them often, but he's got a good uppercut when he throws it, and Yadong has been hit with it in a couple of fights. He's been hit with the uppercut. Um, Left hooks and uppercuts, and the uppercut because Yadong dips. But even though his Stammon, back to his shell, is more kind of... Not a traditional Philly show. He doesn't do it all the time, but he will kind of drop that hand and and do that shoulder roll a bit. Um, Because of that, he extra blades his stance, so he opens himself up to leg kicks and right hands. Right hands have been there every fight. He hasn't had to pay for it too too much because he seems to have a good chin, and the guys he was uh, fighting, minus maybe like a Tom who shown that he can explode and hit some pinpoint shots if given the occasion, um, weren't necessarily one punch hitters or even strikers at all in brian Caraway's case right and no disrespect to Caraway. whereas yadong is yadong is one of the heaviest hitters in this freaking division um and he also is deceptive at leg kicks not just leg kicks; yadong will throw it at the calf as well so if he hits one of those and stings one of those right we could see a compromise um stamina and we'll get into that with another like noted leg kicker, but I I I'm I'm starting to respect the guys that are I, I see variate to the calf more and Yadong does that. So I'm actually gonna take Yadong here. It's not a cop out. It's on the avoid list folks for this reason because I don't know if he's gonna get it done inside, which is probably like my fifty two percent lean to forty eight percent decision. Now that might seem high, uh, but I do think he can win against a decision against a guy who's known for stymieing um, fights and known to counter and stifle guys uh, like Stamman does, right? You know, st- stymieing Stamman like I said on the last podcast. He can stymie guys, take some out of their game, and can win tight decisions as he's done so. It's going to be a dangerous game here um, because Yadong, even if his gas tank does start to falter, I think that he can win the two, I think he can win two rounds outright, especially going with judges' trends. And that's going to be the part of the basis on some of my picks here, is that if you're not controlling guys for are a good control wrestler, at least showing the the ability and intent to control well, um and you're not going to do damage or go f- uh and do damage while you're on top, then judges and I agree with them are not rewarding you as much. They are rewarding more action, damage, submission catches, which again, the rules dictate should be prioritized and I agree um so with a guy that's explosive and just looks as good as Yadong, I think that it, it's going to win the judges over uh, should this go to the cards. So I'm going to take Song Yadong to either uh, get it done with a right hand or you know break him down with leg kicks and right hands and route to the decision. Next fight, another tough one. And this one kind of parlays with takedown control um, as well with the theory that I kind of just laid out, which again... I haven't necessarily been... Uh, you can never bank on what the judge is saying. So it, I, I I am admittedly crazy by that standpoint. Another reason why that fight's on the avoid list. And this fight is also on the avoid list. But again, kind of like with the Darren Wynn... Uh, Darren Wynn... Uh, Darren Stewart fight, which was a really great example. And, and I did... I hate to say I called anything, but I did call that one. And the fact that I don't... Darren Wynn... I, he doesn't go to the wrestling enough. And when he does, he doesn't show... A strong front headlock game. He's not going to take it back with his stature. And uh, his MMA experience isn't enough for his control game to be up there uh, to get enough damage off. Even if you wanted to. Um, because it's Darren Stewart's going to turtle. And again, you're not going to make a guy pay for that with a front headlock or a back take. You're going to be fine. Now, in the lighter divisions, it's much more dangerous. Like in Bantamweight, where Rob Fond is the favorite at minus 140. Ricky Simone, come back on up. Uh, come back on him plus 120 um but that's part of my thinking here yes i'm actually ending up going with font but the only reason why i'm putting this with the kind of a star to be on my avoid list because it's an avoid for me because i went back and forth again i told you guys i was hey look at simone here he's a dog and even though i'm not picking simone like i said at the top of the show i agree that it should be a dog it should be a dog or pass despite my pick here um i'm gonna pick font because he's still within the age where he's still improving. He's had a whole year to improve and also a whole year to settle in. He was also having going through a camp change. Now he's had a whole nother year because last year was the first time, you know, he went over to Lausanne and did the cross training there for whatever reason, him and cater went away from Delo I think early 2018 it happened and both guys, you know, that's when cater got his, his lone UFC loss too in 2018 um, it was like a transitionary period now that, and just kind of poor matchups. I mean, you get Rafael, Asuncao who really only needed to take him down twice. I don't know how much what which he was credited for, but he really just needed two because he had good enough jujitsu wrestling was a good enough veteran and was just a bad matchup for Rob font from jump street. Um, that he was going to control, uh, the majority, uh, you know, and Rob Font has—I do believe him when he says he's been improving jiu-jitsu, his jiu-jitsu. He just really didn't get to see it in his in his last fights um, because, again, the the uh, not Almeida, uh, fucking a Sun south fight didn't necessarily call for it, slash, nor uh, was he in any position to be dictating the jiu-jitsu moves there and with pettis he's actually doing really well with pettis and pettis to his credit pettis does really well with risk control and whatnot something rob font noted as well i have noted i definitely noted in my sergio pettis breakdowns um even though sergio pettis is wrestling you know a suspect uh, he does have good jujitsu. and in the last year rob font has actually been doing grappling competitions and has earned his brown belt he's had a brown belt for a minute now um now he said he's improved his wrestling uh He's changed up the places he's working with. One of his main training partners is a really good wrestler, or underrated wrestler at the very least, which is Calvin Cater. So I want to believe him there, and he has shown really good wrestling. Uh, you know, like in the Sergio Pettis fight, uh, he was doing some really good things. And even in the SunSouth fight, he showed certain moments where it was like, yeah, I was really smart. Uh, I can't remember which one gets deep on a single leg, but he kind of reaches around like you're checking the oil, turns his hips uh, perpendicular shucks pushes and shoves pushes the head away keeps the head blocked too as well like real tight stuff that shows me he's working his his wrestling um you know like martin campman back in the day was really good with that like he did all the real technical stuff because he was just doing reps with uh kyle griffin and um rob bont was showing a little bit of that now do i think he'll get to the level of a martin campman i think he'll be a a familiar character in the division, but I don't know if he'll be as well-rounded. But I guess the question is: Is he well-rounded enough to beat Ricky Simonvato? You thought I forgot about Ricky Simonvato, uh, but but no, I, I I haven't. And Ricky knows that you know, um, you know, not Ricky knows, but like he he can control um, and go for it when he wants to. The problem is. It's hard to tell what you're gonna get with Ricky you know I think are gonna go back he's gonna go back to being more control based because we'll see I don't see big jumps in his stand up his stand-up is pretty much you know he he gets away a lot with his power and he is improving but it, it, it's really come forward combinations and just kind of refining technique um he will hit counters like he was able to counter Ronnie Yaya after getting stung but it's more just kind of stand your ground. And he's swinging, you know, two or three shots. It's going to be the same two or – pretty much two shots right right hand, left hook for the most part when he does. Um, but it's okay because with his skill set and his attitude, like he should be fighting the style he is, which is just like a honey badger. I guess the problem is he's not as – as I don't want to say as bad as Stammon. Like Stammon's bad. I don't mean that as a negative. But when I say as bad, he's not as bad as Stammon in the sense of um, not pursuing and just taking guys down, letting them up or not really – fighting too long to keep them down there he'll earn more control time than Stammen does the problem was the problem is it feels like it's either all or nothing for Ricky where he'll get control time but then he's working to pass and advance which is good but then he'll get hungry and a guy will like will turtle out from underneath him desperate to try to get out and he'll go for their back and he'll like always like, kind of like, fall off the top or he'll get kind of he'll he'll get reckless and it will usually cost him position now he's a good enough wrestler where he can scramble back up and get back going on the feet but in my mind, that's kind of the problem where we're watching. Come on, Ricky, why aren't you using your wrestling more? Why aren't you taking advantage where you're on the ground more? And part of me is like, oh, maybe that's why. It's one of those things where he almost maybe not doesn't know how to. He obviously knows how. He's a very educated. He's been grappling forever, uh, doing MMA for a long time. He's top of the food shell fighter, right? But one of those subconscious don't knows where he doesn't know how to turn his speed down. And since he's not a submission guy, he's more of a wrestler at heart, he ends up going from wrestling too far into the j- j- jiu-jitsu realm, grabbing onto something, getting, and then getting on the wrong sides of scrambles. Um, and now he's only been submitted once, uh, but that was because he got clubbed and subbed by Anderson Dos Santos. It was like when he fought guys who could also grapple, perhaps that could be the problem because that took away what he was good at. Uh, which you could also say Rob Font. Rob Font's always lost to wrestlers or grapplers for the most part, pretty much, right? So that's why Simon is probably a, a good player. Or, or, or not a good player, but that's why the value's on him here. But I just don't see him controlling Font. Uh, especially with the upgraded jiu-jitsu and wrestling to where, Even if he gets him down, I don't see him submitting Font. He's not going to, you know, like Pedro Munoz him. You know what I'm saying? Um... And uh if that's the case, then you know, I I don't think he's gonna gas himself out like a Darren Wynn, so that's that's another good thing for especially if you're a a, a Ricky Simon Bato better. But the problem is if, if it's a fight where he's just taking him down a couple times around, maybe even let's say he gets him down twice around, but he's not able not just to sub him, but not even able to hold him for meaningful times, which is why he's having to get multiple takedowns in a round in the first place, unlike maybe like the aforementioned Rafael Sensao. Then we're gonna see proportions. Most of the portions in the fight on the feet, and Simone's defense just is not enough there for me. And Rob Font, you know, again up with there with Song Yadong is probably like the hardest hitting bantamweights. Um, and he's he, he's active. has a lot of weapons. Really underrated knees, uh, elbows, and kicks as well. Font's just not about boxing. So if he, I'm gonna pick him to, to knock out Ricky Simone. But even if he doesn't, I would argue that Font actually can win the decision here. Again, two out of the three rounds based on damage. Because unless, you know, Font, by the way, he's not opposed to being hurt. So he could be on the end of a club and sub. But unless he gets clubbed and then subbed (coughs) because of uh, uh, being clubbed and rocked, then um, I'm not sure... uh, I see Ricky Simone Vato winning this fight without convincingly holding him down for two out of the three rounds. So, uh, and even then, you know, maybe Font, you know, Font necessarily not the type to gas. Even when he's getting beat in a fight, he's still fighting. He's not giving up. So, you know, even then, does he get up and knock him out in the third? You never know. Either way, I'm, I'm actually going to pick Rob Font here, even though I was tempted on Simon. Uh, I stayed away, though. It's on my avoid list, but that's more for me, not for you, especially if you're on the dog. Good luck, Simone supporters. But that's who I got. All right, Tiago Alves versus Tim Means. Tim Means minus 265 favorite. Come back on Tiago Alves, plus 225. I know I've been going long on some of these fights. I'll speed it up after this, but this fight I definitely didn't want to talk about. Um, big fan of Tim Means, but even I could admit, even though I'm like a Tim Means nut hugger and I've, I've played him when maybe I shouldn't have played him, I will admit... Something about Tim means in the minus two hundred range. where granted where he seems to fall most of the time, and granted, I would, wouldn't disagree, or, or that he gets pushed uh, to, to to that end of the line. Still, it seems to be a fucking bad luck for him. You know, he wins these fights. He's supposed to win, whether you score them for him or not. Um, like in the Mariah's case, or against Bilal again. Bilal very even underrated for guys that like me who've been following him for a minute. And respect him. You know, I was still like, man, Tim, uh, you really let Bilal do his game there. Um or just fights where he's winning and then he just loses like the Nico Price fight, which again, you gotta be careful using this as a blanket, but you it really is appropriate when you're saying, you know, anyone who's been ne- knocked out by Nico Price when you add the caveat. But that was Nico Price. There is something about that caveat. Uh the question is not so much from the knockout, which I believe Tim means has passed the six six month mark although I wouldn't mind more Uh, that is the kind of the bare minimum if you will it's more what happened when he got knocked out he folded his lead ankle there um but looking at it ever since July he was he he started grappling again in July about mid July so it's going to be about six months since he was able to start grappling again after the surgery he had so for whatever that's worth um he's had a lot of time does that mean it won't hurt him Does that mean it hasn't hampered him in camp? Does that mean it won't hamper him in the fight? I don't know. Of course it could. However, again, he's had a lot of time. And Tim, it doesn't throw, he'll throw teeps from his rear foot, but he's not doing a lot of heavy weight pivoting or power pivoting like you would with a tie kick. That is kind of one of the one Muay Thai thing Tim means kind of leaves out of his arsenal, especially from his rear leg. Um, he doesn't do that too much. So there's not going to be a lot of weight being shifted on it from him, his end. Secondly, I don't think Tiago's leg kicks are going to have as much effect either, at least as particular to it. A, because it's a south ball versus orthodox, so he has to switch to the inside. And yes, technically, especially if someone knows how to throw an inside kick um, from the rear, it's going to uh, hurt a lot more, but Thiago doesn't really do those when he faces southpaws. He does the kind of um, hop-skip outside leg kick with his lead leg, which are very the most least powerful leg kick. Regardless of what style of leg kick Thiago Alves does go for, he aims for the thigh, which is fine. Especially, he's one of the best leg kickers ever. He's got the most numbers, I believe, under Cerrone. I am definitely not disrespecting or questioning a Tiago Alves leg kick. However, even those like Dominic Cruz were picking up, like Tiago Alves landed a lot of leg kicks, but they're not really doing much to his opponent, Staropoli. And they haven't really hindered anybody for a long while, since really the beginning of his career. But he does consistently land them. Now, here's what, you know, you see people talking about stats or leg kicks in this matchup. Um, Tiago Alves, win or lose, has been landing leg kicks. Now... Again, if you're watching footage and really trying to get a grasp of what you see, you're going to notice that Thiago Alves always was a gamer, hence why, whether I picked picked him uh, against Curtis Melender uh, or didn't pick him, um, I always have given him that respect. So my eyes aren't blind just because I'm picking against him here, folks. But if you don't use your eyes, you can be blinded by statistic, which which is always dangerous to just heavily rely on those uh, or incorporate them. And yes, he he lands at a high percentage and still throws, you know, as much. I think in his last fight he landed as much headshots as he landed leg kicks. But the problem is they're not doing as much. I don't know what it is if Thiago's you know just kind of gotten outgrown from the division and guys are just way bigger than him and he's just too big to make 155 and he's in that weird spot and he's been through so many wars. Uh, Your power is your last thing to go, but one thing he's not doing as much, I did notice when going back to watch his earlier leg kicks to these ones, he would sit down on the leg kick more. Now, most of the time you judge a leg kick, it's like, okay, did he land the foot, did the shin, what sound did he make? Those things are true, I'm not saying they're not, Um, but the biggest thing I never hear, and it was the very first thing taught to me when I learned how to leg kick from Mike Rodriguez who tattoos now in Vegas, but this guy... Could have been a he was a pro Muay Thai fighter. He was one of uh he actually knew Gina Carano, uh, came up under Master Toddy. Um, one of one of one another one of Toddy's uh teachers slash students back in the day, he went to Thailand, the whole deal. He even came into Extreme Couture just for fun for like a month and like whooped everybody's ass. And they were trying to get him to go pro and go to the pro classes. And uh he was like, nah, I'm good. I'm just gonna go tattoo and draw. Like he just such a natural athlete. Fucking great guy, but I was like, holy shit. Anyways, and he taught me Muay Thai. It was before I got into MMA, I was starting doing Muay Thai, and one of the main things he taught me, and I could just feel it. It's great. You can feel it when you kick a bag, but if you can, it hurts like a son of a bitch, but if you get kicked by a real Thai kicker, those of you who, who have know exactly what I'm talking about, you know, audio fist bump to y'all, but... When a guy really knows how to throw a leg kick, and he actually showed me the difference between just throwing it regular with good technique, landing with the shin, he actually threw it decent power. And, I was, and, and it's still pretty. It still hurt. I'm like, okay, yeah, that sucks, sure. But then he did it slower with less power. And I want you guys to do this, especially if you guys are leg kickers. Well, even if you just are a recreationalist, you're just doing it at home on a, on, a, on a on a bag. When let's say you're kicking with your right leg, most of y'all are orthodox. When you throw the tie kick, you're gonna. Connect, you're, you're, everyone's thinking about their hip and turning their leg over, where they're landing their shin on the target or the bag. But I want you to focus on the leg that's posted down, and drop your weight on the leg you're, that's supporting you. I know it has to pivot and turn, and it still should do that. Your kicking mechanic should not change. You just should be emphasizing sitting. And really, just sitting and jolting, almost almost jolting as you drop your weight down and timing it as you land. Holy shit, does it Hulk times ten your kicking power? And Tiago was doing a lot of that early on. He doesn't do it so much now. He's more worried about putting numbers, uh, getting uh, putting numbers fast, getting in and out, and and he, it, it's it's almost become so written. That, like anything, you get so used to things, you almost like speed through the combinations, and he's almost too comfortable in there, which is why, A, he takes damage that's now finally caught up with him. Well, not now. I mean, it's caught up with him for years uh, at this point. Just crazy. The dude's going to be fighting out his contract, right? But I think that's just my theory. Again, I don't, far be it from me to tell Thiago fucking Alves how to leg kick. I'm not, again, he was doing it the way that I was talking about, by the way. I'm just merely speculating as to perhaps why Thiago Alves' numbers on leg kicks haven't gone down. In fact, they may have gone up in certain aspects, depending on how you look at it. But he's not damaging guys worth a shit. We're not seeing it affect his fights that he wins. We're not seeing it affect his fights that he loses. We're barely seeing guys get bruised legs. Um and he needs to be kicking toward the calf and toward that lower ankle because on a healthy leg it just takes one good one to fuck you up. But when a guy has that pre-existing injury, it does that too. I think we saw Um Tiago, what was it? So who did Sam Alvi fight? Uh who fought Talas Letes. And Alvi got fucked up from the first leg kick and it was a low one. But I believe it was either a calf kick. That did it was the reason why. And also Alvi had a pre-existing injury on his ankle. Again, we're talking about Tim Means' ankle. I know I've been on a long tangent here. Um, but also, I believe it wasn't even the foot that he kicked too. Because again, this is another reason why I think Means' leg will be okay. Is because when you actually... Even if you have a, a knee problem or an ankle problem, that's stability, right? So let's say it's on the lead leg where people are aiming to get leg kicked. That's actually fine. You would actually rather get kicked... Again, someone who's gotten kicked and has 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 bone contusions and multiple MCL, uh, ACL tears. Okay, um, it's better to get kicked on that lead leg. It sucks either way, but lesser two evils. It's that lead leg because again, the reason why I was talking about offensively, you want to look at how it's gonna how it's gonna how it could possibly affect on supporting Tim means throwing the power kick. Well, the opposite. If he gets kicked on that lead leg, it's actually the back that has to support the impact. Hence. When Carlos Condit popped his knee, it was his left knee, right? Or it was his back... Yeah, I believe it was his... It was his. I don't know. It was his right knee. It was his back knee. Um, sorry, I'm Southpaw. Condit's orthodox. It was his back knee. And Woodley, what does Woodley do? He kicks He kicks the left leg, but it's the other leg that goes out, right? Because it had to support. Um, so the, that, that I always point to Woodley versus Condit. To It's actually... It's your, it's your back leg. If it's fucked up, you got to worry about taking leg kicks. It's actually the opposite leg that's actually hurt. you got to worry about taking the leg kicks, too, if that makes sense, if your hurt leg is on, especially on the power side. So that's kind of my theory on leg kicks there. Now, the other end of that, I know I ranted really long on that, but the other end of, end of that is means. So you'll look at means numbers, okay, if we want to play the numbers game and my interpretation of it. Means, he does get hit with leg kicks, um, very seldom does it get into the 20s, but whether it's seven leg kicks, two leg kicks, or 20 leg kicks, his opponents, yeah, they're pretty much in the 80 to 90 percentile, right? So they're, they're landing a high percent, whatever the number is. That is a legitimate common thread for a bad sign It Means is going against a leg kicker, but it's deceptive. Just like Max Holloway. Max Holloway gets like the most leg kicks landed on him than anybody. When do you remember Max Holloway limping in a fight? I'll wait. Or what about the fights he lost? Like, even the fight that he lost, uh, Connor, where he had an injury coming in and an injury that got exacerbated within the first round and lost. Even then, did he limp? Nope. When has he ever limped? It's because Tim Means builds off of leg kicks like Max Holloway. He'll get hit with them, sure, but unless you're hitting it in a really disruptive area, or you're getting that perfect, you know, that perfect uh, bingo shot, that uh, uh, Michael Chandler, Brett Premis shot, like, these guys can take it fairly well and they know it's coming. They step into it, their weights into it. They may do a slight turnout. More importantly, they got your read on the distance. So when you do it again, they do the same pattern too. It's so great. Like, like there's kind of like the Llamas fight where they get hit with it. Like, Llamas hits him with a leg kick. Okay. Then he goes for the next one. And then he does that step back where he slides back out of range and then steps back in. Okay. And then when he does it again, he steps into it, which also gives him. It, they actually get credited against them. The means and Holloway, because a lot of times they don't. They credit checks as lands. Um, it has to be like the most clearest check, and even then, sometimes the stat guys will still just mark it as a leg kick, a landed leg kick. Um, but they'll actually do a stepping in check and then punch and counter off it. And means counters like a motherfucker. And in fact, looking at it, means counters more off of leg kicks than he does off of punches. In fact, he counters so much off of leg kicks that they're up in the 80%, 80 to 90 percentile as far as once he gets a read, the rest of the fight, he's fucking making you pay every time you throw a leg kick. Um, so for as much as he's getting thrown at him, he is making much more hay uh, with his offense and counters. Because again, even in fights that Tim Means loses, did he lose from leg kicks? Do you remember a fight where Tim Means was limping? I don't. So you got to be real careful, folks. I know that was a long-winded thing, but not just for breaking down this matchup. Hopefully, you got the lessons as far as just looking at statistics and kind of what they really mean. Because both sides of this coin are really fucking deceptive. End of the day, I think Tim Means either puts Alves away or um, or gets the decision pretty clear Uh Clearing through after a competitive, really fun first round, was looking for someone to play means with and pair him up with, possibly for a fun two piece or parlay, but no parlay pieces here. All right, next fight: Billy Corintillo minus three thirty-five. Comeback on Jacob Kilburn plus two seventy-five. Uh, more than meets the eye on Kilburn, you know. He uh, he has a lot of power, you know. Don't judge this kid by you know uh, book by his cover. Super dynamic. Um, it just, I just wish he threw less spin kicks because it seems to get him more in trouble and taken down than anything. And, again, for looking like a, a wiry guy, like if you looked at the guy, the guy looks like a flyweight or a bantamweight just by looking at him. Like not in person, obviously. Um, he's a decent-sized feather uh, lightweight. He jumps in between like Billy Quarantillo does. Uh, he's at 5'9", Jacob Kilburn. But he, I almost wish he boxed more because he really sits on his punches. He's got one-shot KO power. This guy really throws heat, which is to be really dangerous For Billy Quarantillo. Um, I like Billy Quarantillo's boxing as well, in the sense that he'll go to the body, but he mainly puts numbers out there, and and he really breaks guys down with pressure. Um, It's just going to be as if his chin holds up, because I think KO is the only way, not the only way, but the main way Kilbird wins here. Quarantillo's been stopped once. Granted, that was by, uh, I forget the kid, Michelle something, not Paheta or something, but it was... uh, he didn't pan out, but he he faced Jared Gordon in their debut, and they booked it like twice or whatever, that kid, and in his defense, he does have like strong kicks and karate, but I didn't go back and watch that fight, so um, I can't say if it was a clean shot, then perhaps that, that's what it was, but if his chin holds up, uh, I like Quarantillo, he doesn't. I, I like his wrestling better, which isn't to say much because he's usually getting taken down, but he does show to have it offensively and defensively. He's just so happy to scramble and does really well there. And he's actually pretty pretty good off of his back, even though you hate to say that and you hate to see guys fight from there. He actually has some skills there um, that I think he's the better jujitsu fighter if he does end up there as well. So as long as he makes this fight ugly, I think Billy Quarantillo's chances of winning this fight dramatic, should dramatically jump up. Um after the first round, especially cause I think Kilburn's taking it on short notice, but I think the number must be because he's taking it on short notice because yeah, that number seems really high to me. Um, Kilburn's unsuspecting power. And I really just like how this kid kind of comes off and the price, uh, really made me put this on the, uh, on the avoid list, but the pick is core um, by decision in a fight that could be like a sleeper fight of the night, but I, I'm guessing because he was supposed to face fish gold and, uh, and whatnot. That's why the line is what it is. Next fight, Bryce Mitchell was the favorite, I believe, the last time we did this. And I said, go look at Matt Sales as a dog. I should have took my own advice because Matt Sales is now your favorite at minus one twenty-five. Come back on Bryce Mitchell plus one hundred five. So it's still competitive as far as the market goes here. But but yeah, man, maybe I should do those early leans more when the appropriate uh, when the appropriate time comes for me. Um, but yeah, it looks look and again, I'm not saying, I ah, this podcast influences anything. This is a shit podcast that has more turnover than it probably does have listeners. That's probably the damn truth. Uh, but again, just kind of saying, hopefully that podcast was at least valuable to y'all who was listening to fall in line with those betting trends and movements. Uh, and you were a part of that party. And again, who knows, uh, he could lose here, right? He could very well lose. It is tight for a reason. Um, but if sales goes back to dog money, I'm gonna make up the mistake that I, my dumbass did and did not play. Uh, cause again, even though that was my lean, I don't like to play things until I do my research, and this was uh this fight was researched like not till like yesterday. <laughs> um But yeah, Bryce Mitchell's another guy where it's like I have counted him out and it's it's just like I said on the last podcast, and you know, and he makes you pay for it. Arkansas motherfuckers. And he comes from that like I've have seen this comparison thrown around a lot, and and I enjoy it. It's comical. I get it. I don't have a problem with it. I just never felt it appropriate to use it myself, except for guys like Bryce Mitchell, where it's like UFC creative fighter. I also like label guys like Brad Katona this way, who ironically I believe they came from the same season, and like, you know, Brad Katona actually submitted Bryce Mitchell. Um, so if that says anything. Uh, as far as ranking the uh, MMA math for UFC creative fighter, but it's like they're just, they're well-rounded and it's not their fault. It's more the fault that they came through things like tough that I don't watch in an era that's just oversaturated as far as the schedule goes. It's hard to remember all these guys. But they just blend in and they're not like coming from a crazy camp. They're not, or even if they are, they're not coming from, like from a crazy uh, highlight reel MMA wise. There's no crazy highlights or accolades as far as jujitsu or wrestling goes, but these guys can kind of do it all. So it's just really easy, at least for me, in my perspective, for them to go under the radar. But when I back, went back to watch Bryce Mitchell, he's basically essentially a guy, he actually likes to counter um, more so now, especially. He can fight from both stances, uh, can throw a pretty diverse array of things, is competent, stays calm in the firefight, and is always ready to scramble. And that's kind of his game, is opportunistic submissions from bottom, opportunistic moments to create a scramble, and get on top. And work from there and that's kind of his game and it's worked really well for him and perhaps maybe they were looking at that back take of kyle Nelson and just going oh crap you know maybe bryce mitchell can get him but one kyle nelson they don't call him the monster for a reason that guy is a monster i mean he is gigantic uh whereas mitchell small for 145 um by his own admission uh and sales not the biggest either so i don't, I don't think it's going to be a size going to play too much of a factor but If you break down the techniques as to why, then yes, there is reason to worry because Matt Sales, very wrestle-centric, right? Um, He tends to turtle and tripod out, and if you're not careful, uh, like he wasn't just for one brief second. like He was literally, it's so impressive, one of the things about Matt Sales, he listens to his corner so well. And he was listening to his corner almost that whole fight, and his corner was so on spot with the advice but he's pushing the head down, and his feet are almost out, and it's a low kind of uh, tackle almost looking like that uh, Cal Nelson's going for. And you hear his sales corner saying, whizzer, whizzer. And it's one of those things where he's kind of tired. It's into the second round, and he's and he's tired, and he's kind of like, you know what? We've all we've all done it, especially not even in competition. Even if you're just in the jiu-jitsu room where you're, you're, you're tired and you're like, you know, what? I think I can get away with doing the bare minimum and escape here. And you pay for it, right? It bites you in the ass. You thought you could just push the head and stand a little sloppily, but nope. Kyle Nelson took his back, and that's all it needs is one back take. He was able to defend, but uh, perhaps, you know, there. And, yeah, that, that you know what? That's all it might take with a guy like Bryce Mitchell. But I like Matt Salesman. I really like his positional jujitsu, how he moves, whether guys are threatening him with leg locks. Um, how he steps over to mount, his base is just super solid. I think he's going to be a very hard guy to sweep. So as long as he doesn't get caught with something garbage and hopefully the judges don't award him for garbage submissions, which is what I think, no offense to Bryce Mitchell, and I still think there's a strong argument for him to get a 29-28, that 30-27 card that went his way against Bobby Moffitt. I mean, Bobby Moffitt already had a couple cards that kind of were like, I don't know about that, right? Like, that could have gone his way. I believe that fight again in uh, South America against Barzola um, maybe not a strong of an argument there, but there was more of a strong argument here. And again, I, I'm more for submissions than control time, you know, I'm glad they they should award submission catches. Remember, I went on a rant just through their podcast about award submission catches. That said, fuck, man, especially that round two. if you look at Bryce Mitchell and Bobby Moffat. like if you give if if any of the judges gave Mitchell round two, it's because they awarded him for that 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 b s crucifix catcher that that triangle that wasn't there. Like I hate that crap. like. Like, that, that's such low that's such low percentage stuff. Like, there's a reason why Rogan was getting roasted for, for, for calling the – uh who is that? She had all the tattoos on her face and she had all the, the – she had the Cracker Jack jiu-jitsu uh, credentials. In other words, she got him out of a Cracker Jack box because she did not have a black belt. Um, but Rogan was calling the fight as she did and she went for that low percentage where you're almost north-south and the person on the bottom – they go for like a triangle, but they don't even have the triangle, they don't even have the arm in. They just have the leg and they're just wrapping up and stalling them. And uh he was calling it like, you know, maybe it was his vantage point, not not picking on Rogan, but I'm just saying there's a reason why people jumped on Rogan for that is what I'm saying. Um, it's because it wasn't a submission. So to see, you know, judges supposed to know what the fuck they're watching rewarding that. I'm like, come on. If you wanna reward Bryce Mitchell for stealing the third round, uh, because there's a minute fifteen to go, he gets the back, and then for about thirty seconds he threatens a choke, and then the last twenty to twenty-five seconds, uh, Moffat's already breaking away, standing back up to the feet, which should be rewarded for effort getting out of that position, getting back to the feet. Even though he couldn't, couldn't fully turn into punch in, punch him ends the ends the fight, punching in the face, showing resilience uh, after controlling four minutes of the, the round. I'm more okay with you saying that was enough to steal the round because that was the closest thing, but like. The closest thing in round two was Bobby Moffitt's not just getting the top control, which, again, Moffitt had in the third round, which I'd be okay with that going the other way or getting stolen. But Moffitt also, also had the closest submission, and it was an actual fucking submission. It was a Darce that he had locked for longer than – he had that locked longer than Mitchell – uh, the RN- I, 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 by the way, I didn't bet this fight. I'm talking like I bet this fight and I'm still burnt about it. I'm not. I just got mad just out of judging principle here. Like, he, fucking Moffat has the Daris longer than Mitchell has the RNC in round three. Yet, I, be- yet, I believe at least one judge still gave him, uh, maybe even two, gave him fucking round two. Like I hate that shit. Like, all oh, the history of fighters getting fucked over from working on the bottom, you're going to reward fucking garbage. God, that pisses me off out of principle, as a man of principle. Um, and that's nothing against Bryce Mitchell. Good on him, dude. This guy is an overperformer, man. And he could overperform here, which is why I'm not comfortable playing Matt Sales, even though this is a playable line. I must want minus 125. The pick is Sales, and if it goes any lower than this, especially if I see plus money, I will pull the trigger on Sales because I believe the line should have been probably opened at minus 125 than opening. I believe Mitchell opened at minus 185. Um, the other way around, right? So... We'll see. Nothing against uh, Mitchell or Arkansas, by the way. Just, just, just saying. By the way, shouts to Aaron Bronson t s m TSN uh, Radio. They had a, I tweeted about it, but he gives a really funny fucking deer hunting story. It's kind of disturbing, but funny. If you link it to like the Goodfellas uh, trunk scene, it's very similar. Go listen to that. Shouts to to that show. All right, next fight, Joe Selecki, minus 340, come back on Matt Wyman, plus 280. It's funny, people are going to look at this and be like, oh, man, what the fuck did Dan Tom rant on this podcast? Hey, I actually stick. it's all techniques, folks, it's all analysis ranting here, it's all relevant, for whatever that's worth. Sorry, it's running long, though. But uh, Kenny Florian versus Matt Wyman, <laughs> because uh, Selecki, maybe not so much by looks, although the face, not so much body structure, face a bit, intelligence, jujitsu strength, 155. Yeah, he reminds me of uh, Kenny Florian a lot. I wrote that in my grading the winner segment. I'm really impressed with Joe Selecti. He really has a special vibe to him. I think he's going to beat Matt, uh, Matt Wyman here. Uh, I, I, I think, boy, Dan, uh, Understatement of the year. I guess what I'm trying to say is, will he submit him? Because Matt Wyman's never been submitted, and that is his strongest thing in his wheelhouse is submission, grappling. Um, I actually think he will. From what I've seen from Selecki, if not, I think he will force a finish uh, by TKO. He only has one. He doesn't seem like a big heavy hitter, but I think he's just going to be able to control position so much and 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 beat Wyman down. It sucks. I like Matt Wyman. I didn't like him coming back. I don't like him coming back against another young guy. And then listening to the interview, you know, bonded with him and Junkie, it just, it sounded fucking bad, dude. It sounded like how I put it this way. It sounds like how I expect Nate Marquardt to sound on his next pre-fight interview. Hashtag MMA retirements. Holy crap. He said everything but, like, Jesus told me to take the sword out. Not hating anything on Jesus. Jesus actually sounded like a pretty cool guy. He was, like, you know, disturbing churches and, like, running riots and protesting against the Romans and giving philosophy in the day. I'm not, not coming at you Jesus lovers. Believe me. Uh, Jesus sounded like a pretty pretty ra- radical rad dude and turning water into wine. I can get down with that. I'm just saying... The fighter's telling you he's coming back <laughs> in the twilight, when the twilight of his career was long past, after multiple head trauma, and because Jesus told him to, that that is a scary thought. That is a scary thought, and it's also scary what I heard from Matt Wyman, who didn't even have to invoke the Lord's name um, <laughs> in his his interview. So almost based on that alone, yeah, I mean Matt Wyman throws, you know, punches, kicks. He still had those triggers, but it just. There wasn't a lot on him, and usually he could outwork guys before and just stay out of submissions and just outwork guys. I don't see him doing that to Selecki. Uh, Selecki doesn't have a great... You know, he's been finished when he was in the third round, right? Uh, a few times he's been there. So maybe he has a gassing problem we haven't seen, but I don't know if Matt Wyman is going to be able, At least this version of Matt Wyman will be the guy to out that. So I'll take Joe Selecki. Um, next fight, Verena Janidroba, minus 275, come back on Mallory Martin, plus 235. Man, credit to Mallory Martin. You know, she's really solid for what she does, and she seems like a really nice gal, and I and um love rooting for people coming off of, you know, big surgeries and whatnot, and, and people that come through adversity. But I just, man, it it is one of the tougher watches. Like I remember having a watch a fight over and I felt bad giving her a C. I felt like I should have given her a higher grade, but it's just it's not a it's just a lot of dan- kind of dancing around come in to throw a left hook or you're going to come in I'm going to throw a check hook and back off and it's like the same punch and the same one maybe one, two, if if that every time Um, and she really depends on getting her wrestling going which is pretty good she has different entries but uh, inevitably it seems that she needs to finish from the clinch and or get her opponent to the fence and I just don't think that's going to be a good thing to do against Verena Jenny Drobo who's not just an accoladed BJJ black belt um, legit jujitsu, but she also has good judo. Um, she comes from judo. And even saw that against high level shots against Carla Esparza. She was able to shut some of those down. We saw with her hips, her whizzer, um, you know, uh, curling uh, c- curling out the foot, bellying down. Like, Jenny is fucking legit. And she does some of my favorite things. But she actually gave me a setup. A lot of times when I'm in full guard, because again, kind of like I was talking about with Struber, when fighters get older, you're going to see less guard submissions. I was a big triangle guy, but as soon as my aforementioned knees and my hips started having problems, I'd do that shit a lot less. i will go for more shoulder pins, kind of high guards that require less flexibility. And if anything, most times what I do is I'll just give a guy a pass and go to half guard. Uh, She does it much more gracefully because she's a female and a pro fighter. Um, but it's really sweet. She'll just kind of cleverly weave in one side for a butterfly, and then shoot the leg down. And then she's kind of already, you know, obviously she's simultaneously setting up her underhook dive and her outside leg reap with the far side leg, a la Damian and Maya. She put, essentially puts herself in the Damian Maya getup. Um, so she does it much smoother. Although I will argue the benefit that I always argue for me doing it so blatantly and giving a guy a pass to ha- to half guard. Is because doing it bluntly serves as a uh, serves a point because I think if you, you go butterfly like Verna does, smart grapplers or even not so smart grapplers will be like, oh, oh, something's going on here. Now the question is, do they know what it is, or do, do they not? That that's the ultimate question, and can they react? Whereas when I just kind of go from. Uh, being on bottom, having a full guard, and then purposely putting my leg in between them, there's that moment where, they're whether they're good or not good, they're like, why the fuck did that person just give me a pass? And as soon as they're going, why the fuck, before they get to the why the fuck in their head, I'm already sitting up into my underhook. So it's kind of like a distraction. They're like, why? okay, thanks for giving me that. And before they realize why, I'm already showing them why. And Verna does that, man. She gets up, she gets up on those half guards. So even if Mallory, who I feel like she needs to get on top to win fights, is able to get on top... I see Verna being able to sweep her. Verna also puts out a lot more output on the feet. She could fight from both stances. Um, so I'm, I'm, I am I, I like Jenny Droba here. Um, I'm afraid to underestimate Mal- Mallory Martin again, but part of me was thinking about putting together Tim Means versus Verna Jenny Drova. I don't think that's plus money, but I do think you're getting some playable chalk. I didn't put that in the old parlay calculator. Um, but yeah, pick there's Verna Jenny Droba. Last fight... Mahmoud Muradov minus 420 Come back on Trevor Smith plus 335 Maybe it's like the one Semi-decent win which really didn't age that well No offense to, to Chris Camozzi Maybe it's because of the one One of my worst bets where I actually bet Chris Camozzi Because I was just a fade on Trevor Smith And I'm like oh yeah that's right Camozzi's allergic to grapplers and Smith can still grapple Can't he um, I just felt so dumb I think that was like back at UFC Stockholm like over two years ago it still burns me so I'm afraid to write off Trevor Smith and then Trevor Smith does this shit where like he is gone for a year plus time and it doesn't affect him at all now that being said he's still just as hittable and just as Trevor Smith like Like, you literally, like, I forget, but it sucks because he fights so infrequently now. I'm like, wait, what stance does he fight from? And, like, unless you look at the very first three seconds of each round in a Trevor Smith fight, you will never know what stance he fights from because guess what? Oh, what? A Trevor Smith fight is in the clinch. That's right, folks. Spin around three circles. Do five laps around your house. Do any combination of activities and look back at the screen of a Trevor Smith fight. I guarantee you he will be in the clinch. They will be in the clinch. Um, so, you never know what the fuck he does on the feet. You have to remind yourself and go back to like the accrued one minute of stand up time through his last 10 fights. Because <laughs> um, he just, at, at the cost of his own face and eating punches, mouth first, will just run into the clinch for the most part. Um, so, it worries me here. He's also that perfect fighter despite almost being 10 years as elder. This is middleweight, folks. This isn't a lighter weight. This is middleweight. Weird fucked up shit happens in this weight class all the time. And Miradoff is mainly a striker. Um he doesn't come from a wrestling background uh that I believe so. I don't have his I didn't wasn't able to to get um I didn't get bios for this card, but I've had him on bio sheets of before. <laughs> But uh, he comes more from striking, and, obvi- and even if you stereotype his areas, it's going to be more striking there, whether it's Czech Republic, where he's fighting out of now, or Uzbekistan, where he's from. I know off-glance, it looks like there's a Russian flag there on Tapology, folks, but don't be fr- don't be fooled. His name is Muradov, and the, the, the color combination looks slightly Russian. That doesn't mean he just can born wrestle, okay? I mean, even some of the Russians, like I warn you guys all the time, depends where they come from. Some are Wushu Sanda guys who are not necessarily wrestlers. They might have, like, a decent takedown but they don't know what the fuck to do when they get you there like Shamil Abdurhamov, right? Um so Mur and then Murdoff also has the Mon- the Mayweather rub. I don't get it. He's the first MMA fighter for the money team, but like He's not a notable fighter. He didn't have a great record. He took a bunch of submission losses early. Like, obviously, that doesn't mean anything, and he can still be very successful, but how the fuck does Floyd Mayweather know that? How does anybody in boxing that doesn't follow MMA know that? Much less a guy like Floyd Mayweather, who's team money. Anything he's going to do is going to be top shelf. He is undefeated. He's going to be looking for undefeateds if he wants prospects, especially coming from a boxing mindset. How does a guy like Mo- like... My only guess, like, I bet you there's got to be some weird dictator fucking connection here, folks. There's got to be some weird dictator thing. Maybe Mohamed Murdoch will win a couple fights and uh, we'll get some Me Too stuff on him or something. I don't know. But there's got to be something, some kind of weird shady connect. Um, again, he is talented. He does deserve to be favored. I'm going to pick him to win, and I'm going to pick him to knock out Trevor Smith. I think Trevor Smith is due for a knockout. It's been since five years. It's been since November, I believe, of 2014 against Kyle Uh Kyle Magalese. Um so I'm actually gonna pick Murad off and pick him by knockout. But if he doesn't get it, man, uh, I could see this fight becoming really sketchy. You know, he was getting it was granted it was his UFC debut, uh, but it could also be his style. He puts a lot of output. He moves a lot around, and he's gonna have to depend on that lateral movement and circling more than he ever has before, and do it smartly. If he's gonna avoid the fucking sticky clench of Trevor Smith um so for the price alone this is on my avoid list i mean i might even put a dollar for shits and giggles if this price keeps going up on trevor smith but the pick is off by knockout but it is on my avoid list sorry for the long breakdown at least it was all breakdown and it wasn't ranting and raving no movie talk or any of that garbage i'm, I'm shelving that for now folks uh so we're just going to recap and get out of here i'm taking over him over Taking Calvillo over Rodriguez. By the way, Cynthia Rodri- uh, Marina Rodriguez, Dana White Contender Series. Those of you guys who watch tape on it or remember watching Contender Series, I didn't pick it up live. Holy shit, the promo they played before her fight and the girl that she's facing was crying. That is the longest promo. Like, I think I warmed up food. I went to the bathroom. I made a phone call. I came back. It was still going. Like It was like a fucking movie. Anyway, sorry. Taking Calvillo over Rodriguez. Taking Rothwell over Struve. Taking Ladd over Kunitskaya. Taking Song over Stamen. Taking fought over Simon Vato. Taking Means over Alves. Taking Quarantine Quarantillo over Kilburn. Taking Sales over Mitchell. Taking Selecki, Kenny Florian, a.k.a. over Weinman. Taking Jenny over Martin. Taking Muradov over Smith. Uh, no parlay pieces, uh, although I may 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 stick together. Means and Jenny Jobber for fun. Um, took only a half unit shot on Calvio at plus one ten. Don't have to follow me off the cliff if you don't want to. I get it. We'll take a shot on Reeman Sales if they go back to plus money. Props, maybe Selecki inside the distance here. I put one sixty five possibly. I don't know. Uh, other than that, I didn't see any props that I really liked either, folks. Um, avoid lists. Yadong versus Stamen, because I respect Stamen, and uh, it, it, it could be a deceptively close fight here. Um, more closer than the odds indicate, but the pick is Yadong. Uh, also on the avoid list, Simon Font, only because I'm on Font and have jiggy jagged and went back and forth in the steering wheel. If you're on Simon, good on you. It's just an avoid for me. Uh, Quarantillo Kilburn, because of the price. I think it's a lot closer than the price, even though I'm picking Quarantillo. And also on the avoid, again, because of the price. Uh, could be a lot closer than that. Muradoff-Smith, even though I'm going with the Muradoff favorite. Any favorable reviews on iTunes, thank you. If you guys want to do any shopping through on it, go through the click-through banners at MixedMarshallAnalyst.com. You can find me and everything I do on Twitter at DanTomMMA. Not really too active on Instagram, but Dan underscore Tom underscore MMA. At the PYM Podcast, if you want to submit anything, any questions... Uh, I didn't. I didn't take listener questions this time, but even though I'm trimming things down, I, I may include that kind of a segment in just because it's, it's fun and I do enjoy it. Um, and we'll incorporate it in the live chat thing, where or segment, or, or the, whatever you want to call it. However, they do those things on the side of YouTube when we get those going uh, there. So until that happens, though, just hit me up or the podcast up again at the PyN Podcast on all platforms. Won't even bother plugging anything else. Don't really feel like I deserve it. So I'm just going to instead wish y'all well. Thank you again for listening I'm really not sure why any of y'all do Hopefully this is helpful Thank you for for those of y'all who shout out and share Especially if you tag uh, me or mainly the podcast To help that grow, help this grow I really appreciate it Um, Not too proud of the product I give them most weeks to be honest So I have a hard time genuinely asking you It's one of the reasons why I'm a terrible businessman That being said, whether I have the guts Or the wherewithal to ask Don't think for a second that I don't appreciate you So good luck this weekend Good luck on your picks and plays. And always protect the